Welcome to the WTJX Newsfeed. In today's top stories, President Joe Biden approves federal cost share increase for the territory's disaster recovery projects. Former President Donald Trump wins the territory's Republican caucus. Legislation backed by the Department of Health to create a kidney disease and diabetes registry earns favor from lawmakers. These stories and more on today's WTJX Newsfeed. From the Virgin Islands Public Broadcasting System Studios on St. Thomas, this is the WTJX Newsfeed with Marcelina Ventura Douglas. Welcome to the WTJX Newsfeed, bringing you the latest news and updates throughout our community. The Federal Emergency Management Agency shared news just before 7 last evening that President Joe Biden has made additional disaster assistance available to the territory by authorizing an increase in the level of federal funding for costs resulting from Hurricanes Irma and Maria. The FEMA press release shared that the increase would provide more than $1.1 billion in additional funding to accelerate holistic and resilient recovery across the territory. With this adjustment, eligible disaster costs will now be funded at a 95% federal cost share and permanent work projects funded under Section 428 Alternative Procedures will now be funded at a 98% share for a fixed amount of time. Governor Albert Bryan Jr. and Office of Disaster Recovery Director Adrian Williams-Octolin held a briefing earlier today to celebrate the news. I really want to thank the people of St. Croix. Whatever y'all give President Biden in St. Croix this Christmas, it was good. <laughs> Whatever it was, give some more. The adjustment will significantly reduce the amount of money the territory has to come up with in matching funds to execute its disaster recovery projects. That amount now being estimated at $500 million that Governor Albert Bryan says the territory already has. We already have $500 million uh, dedicated from the CDBGDR, uh, and that $500 million, as Ms. Octolin uh, was explaining, is, is what we will use. And when FEMA says they gave us $1.1 billion, you could think of it as having $1.6 billion in match now to cover all of our projects. And, and when you do it like that, you understand uh, how we're able to, at this point, cover the match on all the projects that we have obligated. What it actually does for us is allow us to utilize all of their recovery dollars to our strategic areas. The $500 million that has been set aside when the CDBG, DR, and MIT funding is actually t was actually taken away from the opportunities for other critical projects and other needs for infrastructure and especially housing. What it's allowing us to do right now is to take another look at where we allocate those resources so that we can address a lot of unmet needs. The adjustment does come with a stipulation that projects must be met by a certain time frame. We have to get all of our projects obligated by September. That's the first hurdle. And then we have to have all our projects built in 11 years, or it reverts back to the 90% uh, funding, 90% uh, match that we had previously. The change also allows the territory to utilize any money saved on 428 projects to be redirected to any other FEMA-approved recovery projects. This is a precedent-setting uh, opportunity that was provided to us by FEMA. This has not been done anywhere else. 
Donald J. Trump, 73.98. Nikki Haley, 26.02. For committee woman, we have April Newland, 54.5. And Antonin Youngshek, 45.5. Former President Donald Trump won the territory's Republican caucus, taking 74% of votes over former ambassador to the United Nations and South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley. The win is reportedly the largest margin Trump has gotten over Haley thus far, and the news is said to have encouraged Trump to call in live as attendees gathered at the Frenchman's Reef Buoy House to hear the results. We had a tremendous victory, almost 75% of the vote, and that is a big victory. We expected to win, but we didn't expect to win by that much. And so everybody there, I hope you can all hear me, but I just want to thank all of you. Uh, you are incredible people I will never forget. Thank you very much. April Newland, who won the election for National Committee Chairwoman over Antoinette Gums Heck, said it's something she's wanted for over 20 years. I love here. I grew up downtown. I'm helping to rebuild the town with historic preservation. And my son is here. His children will be here. And I want to build this. I love this island. I've always have. I've been registered as a Republican since I was 18. And I love this island and I'm not going anywhere. And I want to help people to have two voices. Are we always right? No. Are we wrong sometimes? Yes. Following last evening's results, Republican Party members met early today for their delegate selection committee at Bluebeard's Castle on St. Thomas to decide on six delegates and six alternate delegates to represent the territory at the 2024 Republican National Convention. Party Director Dennis Lennox said they selected three slates based on the amount of delegates the territory will receive. The first version is four delegates and two alternates. The second version is six delegates and two alternates. And the third version, which we believe to be the correct number, is nine, de uh, is, is, is nine delegates and six alternates. Local party officials have claimed they were wrongfully docked five delegates from their original nine because of how early they chose to caucus. National party rules limit the ability of states and territories to run winner-takes-all contests before mid-March. Unless a vote at the convention changes things, the party will recognize only four delegates, as opposed to the original six elected delegates and three superdelegates. If there was a penalty that needs to be applied, there's a question of how is it calculated? Is it 50% of the six delegates, which is three, or is it 50% of the nine, which would be an odd number of four rounded down. And so then as soon as they tell us what the correct number is, we will select, submit the correct slate. Charges against 30-year-old Omari Horton have now been upgraded to murder in the first degree for the stabbing death of his brother, 42-year-old Rupert Rivera, in an apartment at Bougainvillea Gardens on St. Croix. Horton was arrested yesterday and initially charged with first-degree attempted murder after stabbing Rivera in the right side of his neck. After being transported to the Wang F. Louis Hospital, Rivera succumbed to his injuries, marking the first murder on St. Croix for the year. 
two people have been arrested for defrauding the Virgin Islands government of half a million dollars. VIPD Public Relations Coordinator Kishma Chichester has the details of the arrest. On June 9, 2023, the Economic Crime Unit initiated an investigation into fraudulent claims upon the government after a complaint was filed by the Office of Management and Budget, when internal audits by the Department of Finance and OMB uncovered the missing funds. Investigation revealed that over a period of months, $500,000 was illegally withdrawn from the 2020 Government of the Virgin Islands COVID Economic Stimulus Account. On February 2, 2024, arrest warrants for Ms. Kenyatta Reddick and Mr. Andrew John were obtained. On February 7, 2024, Ms. Reddick and Mr. John were both placed under arrest. Ms. Reddick was arrested at the Henry Rolson Airport on St. Croix after she was detained by U.S. Customs and Border Protection. Mr. John was taken into custody at the Police Administrative Building. Ms. Kenyatta Reddick, age 56, and Mr. Andrew John, age 43, were both charged with criminally influenced and corrupt organization act, participating in frauds on creditors, obtaining money by false pretense, fraudulent claims upon the government, access to computer for fraudulent purposes, and grand larceny. Unable to post bail in the amount of $100,000, Kenyatta Riddick and Andrew John have both been remanded to the John Bell Correctional Facility. Officials from the Department of Health won approval from lawmakers for the creation of a registry seeking to track Virgin Islanders who suffer from kidney disease and diabetes. The legislation introduced by Health and Hospitals Committee Chairman Senator Ray Fonseca urged his colleagues to support the measure. This bill is about investing $250,000 to be able to monitor and to track and to save and extend the lives of all of the Virgin Islanders that are currently suffering from kidney failure in addition to the thousands of Virgin Islanders that have diabetes and also pre-diabetes. Department of Health Commissioner Justa Inconnacion testified that although type 2 diabetes is often preventable and manageable, when combined with type 1 diabetes, it is the sixth leading cause of death in the U.S. Virgin Islands. And currently affects 15.93% of the population or approximately 11,161 persons. Chronic kidney disease affects 1.5% of the population. In 2016, the U.S. VI diabetes prevalence was 12.7%, affecting approximately 10,382 persons. The commissioner stated that the prevalence of the disease is increasing at an alarming rate, posing significant health, economic, and social challenges. She continued that data registries serve as a critical resource for policymakers and public health officials that offer insights to shape preventative public health strategies. Senator Ray Fonseca was astonished by the number of patients currently affected in the territory. This is a problem, Popa. This diabetes registry and the kidney disease registry will keep us on track and prevent the end-stage dialysis issue. Because like I said before, right now there are 219 residents that have kidney failure. 
there is 126 on St. Thomas and 93 on St. Croix. Snyder Regional can only treat 75. We have a private group. They call it Caribbean Kidney Center treating 51. You know, and St. Croix is even worse. Wang Louis of the 93 kidney failure dialysis patients of the 93, Wang Louis can only treat 40. 53 of them got to go outside, and we're talking about residents from St. John, and also there's one from Water Island, there's three from St. John. The measure will receive further consideration from the full body at the next legislative session. The University of the Virgin Islands Board of Trustees have voted to appoint Dr. Sophia George to serve as the university's sixth president. Dr. George will succeed current president, Dr. David Hall, whose contract will expire on July 31st after serving the university since 2009. Dr. George is originally from the Virgin Islands and is also an alum of the university, receiving both her associate and bachelor of nursing degrees. She continued her education at Emory University, where she earned a Master of Science in Nursing with a concentration in HIV-AIDS and Oncology, followed by a PhD in Nursing Research. She expressed her enthusiasm for the appointment, stating that becoming president has been a long-standing dream and goal. She expressed her confidence in being an effective president, with a desire to improve outcomes and the lives of students, faculty, staff, and the community. Dr. George is the current Dean of Florida Atlantic University's Christine Lynn College of Nursing, where she oversees approximately 1,400 students and programs on three campuses. Senators accompanied Department of Education Commissioner Dr. Dion Wells Hedrington and St. Croix Superintendent Dr. Irisilda Otley Herman on a tour of several St. Croix schools today. We spoke with Committee on Education and Workforce Development Chairperson Senator Maurice James who said they toured the St. Croix Central High School, the St. Croix Educational Complex, and the John H. Woodson Junior High School that's slated to reopen to students on Monday. The purpose of today's tours um, was to follow up on all the issues that were identified last um, year, in October, November, when the, um, there were the protests, of course, talking about the conditions of the schools and then if you remember, we had the students who came and testified about the um, the condition of the schools and what, what they were going through. Senator James stated that the week's adverse weather conditions revealed issues in at least two of the classrooms on Woodson's campus, sharing that it won't be ready for students on Monday. At Central High, there's also flooding in, in flooding that occurred in several of the classrooms. Um, Central High bathrooms are almost completed and, and they look really good. St. Croix, the, the educational complex bathrooms, they've not begun on those. Um, so those still have to be addressed. She said if she were a parent with a student at the John H. Woodson Junior High School, she would have a high level of comfort sending them back to campus on Monday. As a matter of fact, there were teachers in the classrooms already, beautiful classrooms in terms of, I mean, a lot, teachers in the Virgin Islands invest a lot of their own funds into beautifying their classrooms. And there were a number of classrooms that we visited. The teachers were present, getting ready to have their students back because they're excited. And um, those classrooms that I went into, 
I would feel very, very comfortable um, going back to school on Monday. Definitely. Senator James shared they will be revisiting Complex and Central in the future. The takeaway for me is that Central High School, quite frankly, needs to be demolished sooner than later because there's no way for us to adequately fix the issues that are existing there. Um, there's no, you know, we could, for the most part, it's like putting Band-Aid on because the, it's the, the, in the, the topography, the buildings are so old, it's so hard for, um, for them to repair that. But the tours today show the department had made great progress. But it also showed us that there, there is there's a gap in terms of capability and capacity with respect to getting things done in the, in the Virgin Islands. And um, we just need to be realistic about our ability to get things done and, and, and be creative about how we're going to move forward. You're listening to the WTJX News Feed. The Virgin Islands Police Department is advising the community of traffic restrictions for this evening's pre-Valentine's Day jump-up. There will be no parking on Queen Cross Street from the corner of Queen Cross to the Caravel Casino. There will be no parking on Company Street from the corner of Church Street by Sonia's Jewelry to the market, and no parking on King Street by the Florence Williams Library to the King Christian Hotel. There will be no westbound traffic onto Company Street from Hospital Street, and traffic will be rerouted off Hospital Street onto Queen Street. All traffic restrictions and roadblocks will be enforced, and any vehicles found in restricted parking areas will be towed. The Community Foundation of the Virgin Islands recently shared that the territory has been awarded for a new round of funding of up to $180,000 in reimbursements and future estimated expenses to organizations that have provided or will provide emergency food and or shelter programs locally from October 1st, 2022 through December 31st of this year. This is the fourth round of funding and it's being provided through the Department of Homeland Security and FEMA. Eligible applicants must be 501c3 nonprofit organizations, churches, or units of government that have demonstrated the ability to deliver emergency food and or shelter programs. In addition, applicants must be eligible to receive federal funding, practice non-discrimination, and have an accounting system. Agencies interested in applying for the Emergency Food and Shelter Programs funds must submit applications through CFBI's grant portal that's located on their website. All new applicants to CFBI must create a new account with the online grant portal and returning applicants must log into their previously created account. All applications must be submitted by 11.59 p.m. on Thursday, February 29th. Members of the Virgin Islands Board of Education attended the 2024 National School Boards Association Equity and Advocacy Conference in Washington, D.C. They say the conference brings together education leaders, policymakers, and advocates from across the nation to discuss and collaborate on issues of equity and advocacy in education. Board Chair Dr. Kaiser Callwood says members engaged in a series of workshops that he hopes will help to craft new policy in addressing critical education matters impacting students across the territory. 
here in the territory, we take what we call the small, smarter balance assessment um, every year to test the um, reading, comprehension, mathematics skills of our students. And within this particular um, breakout session, one of the presenters shared um, information in terms of how um, district can take a comprehensive approach, evidence-based um, instruction, rather, where we could be able to um, create a, a clear path for reading proficiency for our students. Dr. Callwood says this is not the first time board members have attended the conference, and takeaways from previous conferences have already helped the board to craft policy. In terms of creating a well-rounded school management accountability report, we have implemented different things, not just showing what is happening in terms of administration, counseling, or, or maintenance in the school, but even gained perspective from students. Our last school management accountability report included um, a component from the student councils in terms of their view of how their school climate environment is and what can change, what they don't like, what they would like to see for improvement. And also, we are getting ready to, this year, we're getting ready to implement a, um, a district-wide survey where teachers, parents, and students can participate and give, give uh, well, not necessarily teachers, but the parents and students can give their feedback to the teachers and the principal community superintendents, commissioner of education, and others in terms of what is their view based on the curriculum, academic learning, and the school environment um, that they like, dislike, or they don't like, and ideas um, for corrective action that they could um, provide to the Board of Education so we could um, work collaboratively with the Department of Education to make some of those changes. In more updates, we're turning now to our regional report. Former Premier of the British Virgin Islands, Andrew Foy, was found guilty by a jury following a seven-day trial in a Miami federal court. Foy was found guilty on all four charges against him that include conspiracy to import more than five kilograms of cocaine, conspiracy to engage in money laundering, attempted money laundering, and foreign travel in aid of racketeering. According to reports, the jury deliberated for just over four hours before delivering the verdict after 5.30 yesterday. Court records state that Foy stood in silence as the verdict was read and his sentencing is set for April 29th. He could face the possibility of life in prison and a $10 million fine. We're turning now to our meteorologist for the territory's weather forecast, who says we should be getting a lot more sunshine this weekend. Looks like we're in for a fine weekend as drier, more stable air continues to build in across the entire Virgin Islands region. Just a very small 10% chance of a shower through the overnight hours tonight. But tomorrow, the chance of rain showers almost nil. On Sunday, a bit more moisture may drift across the region, and that may bring us a few isolated showers, particularly across the elevated terrain. Tonight, we're looking at partly cloudy skies, a very small chance of an overnight shower. Temperatures in most spots range from 70 to 74. East and northeast winds at 10 to 15. Should be a nice day tomorrow. Saturday, partly if not mostly sunny. Again, chance of rainfall very low at 10% or less. Low to mid-80s and still a bit breezy. Partly cloudy Saturday night, mid-70s. Isolated showers under partly sunny skies on Sunday. Low to mid-80s. Rip current risk will remain elevated throughout the weekend. This is meteorologist Russ Murley for WTJX. We are at the end of today's WTJX news feed. I'm Marcelina Ventura Douglas. Join me every weekday at 5 p.m. And if you haven't already, be sure to download the WTJX app. 
If you missed a part of our news, you can listen to it on demand wherever you get your podcasts.